Okay. So, Andrew, if you had to tweet your profile, what would you say? Oh, I don't use Twitter. Sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> you promise me only. You promise me only yes and no questions. This is if I, if I have if I have to think, the deal's off. <laughs> yeah. We're our, you know, I I'm I'm a strategy first global marketing and sales consultant. My my goal is to help all of my clients be able to convert everyone they touch into voracious advocates for their brand. Hi, Andrew. It's so nice to have you on my show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So uh, starting from what you just said, uh, Andrew, what is your strategy first approach? Well, let, let's start with defining what I mean by strategy first, because that's, that's always a, a question that it's easy to say, but takes a, it's a challenge to learn and do. Yeah. Most, most companies spend a fortune on what we call the tactical side of marketing, websites, uh, even in the old days, brochures, boxes of donuts to visit their clients, all of these things that are sort of tactics. But none of that means anything. Uh, and, and is very low impact and high spend if you don't have a core strategy, which means, do you truly understand who your customer or customers are, not just who they are, but what matters to them? What are their pains, challenges, needs, desires that you can resolve? That's step one of, of the strategy. Then the second is, how do you as a company, how are you able to resolve those very issues, challenges, pains, problems, and otherwise, in a way that eliminates all of the other solutions, that you do it better than any other solution to those problems that, that people have. And when you gain that understanding, and also what about you is different that actually matters to your customer, that's where you, you get the magic ingredients to build that strategy as to who you are. Then you can start to go and build the tactics to go out and do it. So I, I've seen companies that, that have millions of dollars invested in the very things that they're proud of their company. Oh, we, we do this, 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 and that. And when you talk to the customer, why do you do business with these guys? None of those items matter. Mm -hmm. so, so a true strategy is really meeting people at their, at their model of the world mm -hmm. and, and letting them know that they're heard, listened to, and, and that you have a solution for their problem. That's Hope right. that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, how often do you find that in the companies, you know, are completely clueless about their customers? You know, they sort of, you know, they have a strategy which has absolutely no sort of connect with who their customers are. And you know, how often do you find that you know, a uh, lot of lot of people at the top, the senior managers, uh, have have completely are completely disconnected with their customers? You know, so. You know, you know com completely clueless is, is, uh, exists, and, and we have worked with completely clueless. Um, but usually, it, it, it's more about blind spots. It's more about uh, a belief that's existed for a, an extended period of time within the organization, or uh, beliefs that exist because they've never asked the questions. So, and, and it's incredible. I've, I've, the, the total disconnects that I can think of, the, the, you know, that you just kind of go, what the hell? It's typically somebody who was thrown into a role that, that they weren't prepared for at the top of the organization. Um, whether it's dad decided you're going to now take over the business, son, so you come in and run it. Um, or, 
um, some something similar. And and there's also cases where we've worked with private equity where they've purchased companies that they thought that they understood and they didn't and put the wrong person at the top. So it, it's a combination. But normally, uh, what it really boils down to is is that lack of qualitative research at the customer level to then to then you know form many companies are out really promoting things that they're very proud of that the customer isn't that interested in you focus like for example one client of ours years ago was bragging about all the things that they did as a company they were extremely proud of in the it was a uh, that they made their products out of U.S. steel, that they could paint any color, that they met ANSI standards, that they had ISO. And at the end of the day, all of the things they were, they were bragging about to their customers were just the minimum you needed to be in that business. If you didn't do all of those things, you couldn't make that product because it wouldn't pass the regulatory standard to be used. Mm-hmm. So when we did the qualitative analysis to find out what are the reasons you do business with these guys, number one, you answer the phone. People right. love the fact they could reach somebody. Number two was when I, as a buyer, have a run and I need that package that I don't have an in inventory, they're the only ones who could readjust their schedule and get it to me at a reasonable time. All the competitors are months. Right. Number three was when they goof and we have an issue, they take responsibility and they fix it. So at the end of the day, the reason people did business with them had nothing to do with steel and paint and all that kind of stuff. It had to do with personal touch and service. Mm-hmm. And when they completely changed how they went to market and talked about that, customers who weren't doing business with them goes, oh my goodness, there's somebody in the market who can do that? I'm switching. And that, that company more than doubled in business in three years and was, was, was sold, which was the end game of that project was to get them to get them sold. The other thing which is very interesting from your website and from a little bit research that you've done is the fact that you, you know, you advocate the fact that every touch point, you know, has to become a voracious advocate of your brand, you know, so how do you sort of, you know, so and and you mentioned stuff like, you know, that even people who are not really your customers can actually recommend you to others. So that we found that very interesting. So can you sort of, you know, elaborate on that, Andrew? Yeah, let's break it down because there's different at, there's different parts to the whole statement. It's 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 quite a mouthful. But if you break it down, first of all, converting every touch doesn't mean every customer. Because they're they're uh, and and the best the best examples of it are probably luxury brands. How many people out there are huge advocates for Ferrari but have never bought a Ferrari, never could buy a Ferrari? And, and the fact that they have all of these advocates out there go, oh, my God, Ferrari is whatever, whatever you perceive it to be, um, is part of the allure that gets the people with the money to buy it. So every, every touch is anyone who comes in contact with your business, your brand, or your people who are part of your brand. Uh, so, so that's the first part is who are we talking about? Anyone, whoever, whoever encounters the name, the look, the products, the people. Then, so that's every, every touch, you want to convert them to voracious advocates. What's a voracious advocate? An advocate is somebody who says, uh, you know, I, I, I do think it's a good thing. A voracious advocate is one that in a conversation, someone says, well, I'm thinking of, of doing business and buying something. The voracious advocate is the one who goes, you know, you'd be an idiot to not contact them. Right, right. I, I, I can't get enough of them. Every time I have contact with them, I feel great. They're, they're the ones that don't just say, yeah, yeah, they're okay. They're the ones who go out and say, they're the ones that climb to the hilltop and shout the, the, 
the, the benefits and, and the feeling that your brand inspires. And then, of course, the brand is really who, who you are as a company, not your logo, not your look, not your feel. But basically, your brand is what are people saying about you when you're not in the room? What do they feel about you when you're, when, when, when you're, not, you're not there? So the idea is everyone that ever comes in contact with you, your brand, and your people should be converted to people who go out and promote and, and grow your business. So often in that, the concept of the sales funnel, we, we see the, this idea we, in, in the U.S., the, the, the real hard edge sales guys that give sales a bad name, they talk about kiss or kill. Right. So if, if, you, if you talk to them and they don't want to buy, get rid of them. Right, we say right. no. Right. We say if they don't want to buy, still provide them with service and otherwise and collect them at the bottom of the funnel, which we call the hourglass, right. so that they can continue to be advocates for your brand. One, one of the biggest deals I've ever had in my entire life came to me because I refused to do business with someone that I wasn't qualified to help right. who had a cousin that needed what I do. Right. And it was, it was a, a long-term engagement that, that made a great deal of money for our company that never would have come in my lap had I not referred a piece of business that I could have faked it till I make it right. Uh, right. And, and probably lost. Right. But right. instead, I helped this gentleman take, find, find the right consultant for his, for his challenge, and it turned into a, a massive deal. That's about converting, converting into advocates. Now, coming to another topic, you've been uh, you've been working internationally for a very long time, Andrew, and you've told me you know stuff about you know working in South America, and, and you've also been to India, and you've eaten rotis and gone to Baroda. So, how how do you look how do you how do you look at you know this uh, evolving landscape for international marketing now, given the fact that the world is changing? And I've uh, I've been doing global trade before the internet existed, right? So. You know, back back in the days when you did your prospecting with with actually uh, telexes and faxes and phones right. and and you know manuals and things, so the, the the data generation has made it a lot easier and a lot more dangerous because people tend not to do the level of, of due diligence and study that they should to understand um, the right market. I mean, I, I remember sitting at a trade show in Germany, and I, I tell this story all the time. And a, a gentleman would come up to the counter and say. We, we are the number one dealer of this type of product in our country, right. and we want to be your partner. And we would say, thank you. And we take his business card and put it on the table. We'll be in touch. Right. And as he walks away, another gentleman who looks like he could be his brother comes <laughs> up to the table. We are the number one distributor of this product in our country. <laughs> and by the end of the day, mathematics, the laws of mathematics have gone. Because right. we'll have met nine or 10 number ones. Right. Last I checked, you can't have 10 ones. Right. <laughs> but so, so, you know, what, what happens now is that because of the internet, it's so easy to, to, to create fog to look like something that you're not. Um, that, that companies have to be even more cautious. And we, we play a much larger role in so many of these companies. If it's nothing more than just verifying a lead. So last week we got a call from from a client who said, "Hey, there's a guy in I'm, I, don't, I don't want to say the country, but who who claims to be the 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 right player for us." And we reached out to one of our affiliates in that country. They did the due diligence to find out it was literally a guy who lived in his parents' house, right, hoping right. to start a business. Right. So, so you know the, the, those factors exist, and then the legalities of. You know, what, what, what rights do you have as a company in, in other countries? I've seen over the years, 
horror stories where, um, say I, I, I met with someone in country X and he said, I want to be your distributor. And while we're contemplating it, he's hired a lawyer and registered our name under his name in the country. So now when we choose somebody else, we have to fight to be able to use our own name in that country because of that person. And it's just to complicate us legally. So there, there's, there's so much to know. And that's why when companies decide to go global and they want to expand, uh, they need expertise. They need to know how to, how, how, which are the small stones you step on to keep your feet dry when you cross the river. And one more thing which I wanted to sort of discuss uh, was the lot of work that you are doing now, especially in the you know area of predictive AI and data analytics. Sure. You've done you know uh, you've in, in, you've done work around you know how could you know if somebody selling off a large catalog, how you could you know upsell and cross sell products and stuff like that. And that's mm-hmm. very helpful you know from a uh, for a lot of industrial products companies manufacturers and stuff like that. So could you sort mm-hmm. of you know uh, elaborate on that? Yeah. I mean, the old system was sales guys would have the book and they're, you know, the typical is imagine you've got a thousand page catalog. Most salespeople know a hundred pages at the most. And even that is, is a lot. So they go out and they sell what they're comfortable with. And, and many of them make a great living and it's good for them, but not necessarily for the company. So then we, we sort of invented this thing called the sales analyst. And what the sales analysts were doing is, is, each month looking at what was selling, what wasn't, and then making recommendations to the sales team to try to expand. Well, with an AI, and, and again, AI is, is, is so many different things to so many different people. We're going to talk about it specifically to predictive modeling. So imagine you go to a home improvement store. Uh, like here in the US, we have Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards. I, I don't know the, the stores in India. But you go into that store and you buy a home barbecue, right? Okay. Right. So for the, they, they say, Oh, he bought a barbecue. Well, the old model was you'd go onto their website and they know who you are and you bought a barbecue. They start selling you more barbecues right. and right. you go as a consumer. I already have one. I'm going to use it for five years. Right. I'm not interested. So then they got clever and they said, well, if you bought a barbecue, maybe he needs a spatula. Maybe he needs a cover. Maybe, maybe, maybe she needs uh, coal for the different things that are related to it. Now, with an AI system, what what they could do instead is to compare everything that you've ever purchased against who you are, or they could look at your your location and otherwise, so that they can create a persona for you. And in the data, comparing you to the other tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of customers, people like you who bought a barbecue and live in this zip code or this, this neighborhood and have also purchased uh, uh, patio tiles, those people have an 80% possibility that they're going to buy a lawnmower. Right. Or they're, and, and you can look at that past data comparing people so that the predictions right. and the, the, the items suggested are completely out of left field. So now let's take it to an industrial distributor. Right. So right. I'm visiting a, a I, I sell uh, construction materials and I visit a company that does roofing repair and they're a company that does roofing repair in very expensive homes. So now in the system, comparing me to people and in, in others, I, I sit, you, you, you know, in, in that deal, we're selling you roofing shingles and nails and roofing material. That's what you've been buying. Well, the predictive model will look at other people who do roof repairs in expensive neighborhoods and recognize 
they many of them have purchased racks for their truck to carry ladders. Many of them have purchased sealants in a certain area. And it starts to help me as a salesperson suggest items that that never would have occurred to me. Now, now, most companies, when they're hiring salespeople, they'll hire 100 people, of which 90 of them time out. They never they never get up to speed. Well, what would happen if you're a new salesperson who doesn't really understand that thousand page catalog and you've got this AI that when you tell it who you're visiting will give you suggestions? What's the highest probability of the first four items that that company would buy? And then you got the sales guy who's, who's making money selling 20 pages of your thousand page catalog. The system is now telling him with the existing customers, these are items you should be adding. And by the way, the marketing team loaded up all these leads and here's the opening mix. You're now accountable to tell us what happens when you suggest. So it, it's a whole different thing. It makes lazy salespeople busy again. It makes new salespeople get up to speed faster. And it even allows your inside sales team when people are calling in and placing orders and your e-commerce to make suggestions that are relevant to the persona and the type of business that you're dealing with. So it's, it's quite a complex It'd be a podcast all on its own to go through the details and, <laughs> and map out how it works. But it's a living and breathing thing. Right. So the no's become just as important as the yeses. The suggestion is going out to 100 salespeople today that this is a product that people are predicting. And, and in that 100, the first 10 go no, it will adjust that probability and maybe put a different product up higher to, to increase the performance. Right. Right. And, um, it's a very sort of you know, enlightening conversation. Thanks for taking out the time. Thank you very much. Thank no, you thank you so, so much. much. I, I really appreciate it. I hope I hope your folks, you know, that are interested, reach out, check out my podcast, The Fanglecast. Right. And uh, I, I I'm honored to to have been asked to to join your show. Thanks yeah. so much. I, I think I think folks absolutely should like, share, subscribe, and even fax and telex your company because of the 